0: It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been sponsored by OU's Teach Coalition, who are encouraging everyone... ...to go out and vote. In all states, elections will be close in the midterms this week. Midterms, governor elections, this Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, it's down to the wire. The OU's Teach Coalition and its network of thousands of activists, just like you, are urging you to go out and vote. And as we're going through these episodes, examining the Jewish story, uh, pushing frontiers on the American landscape... So I'm reminded of something before that in Poland, um, that, that it was said in the, in the uh, Jewish, the Yiddish newspapers in Poland in the 1920s and 30s. They pointed out that there was a low voter turnout among the Jewish voters of the, in the Second Polish Republic by the by Polish Jewry. And it was attributed to Jews not having reached political maturity. They, they weren't used to, you know, free elections and political parties, but now the Jews have reached political maturity, and they're used to politics and elections, so there's definitely no excuse for low voter turnout. In fact, where I live in Israel, there's high voter turnout of Jewish voters, even though they have elections every few months. Um, so, for sure, if you only have it every couple of years, um, so there's no reason not to have a a um, high voter turnout. Everyone's got to vote. And uh, it's definitely not enough for the community of listeners of Jewish History Soundbites to vote. It's important for everyone to encourage others as well, your families, your communities, your social circles, to raise awareness, to appreciate history and our sense of responsibility. And it's not important who one votes for as long as you vote. So for help you can contact the voter hotline at Teach Coalition at 646-459-5162 or look them up online, teachcoalition.org slash vote. Um, in fact, it's today's topic is about the Agudah and of, of the United States and Canada. And it's very interesting how I, I always noticed how these Eastern European rabbis, Yiddish speaking who were immigrants who grew up primarily in the Russian Empire where they did not have emancipation, they didn't have voting rights and they adapted very quickly, very wisely and very quickly to the American political scene. They got to know senators, they had meetings with government officials. One of the rabbinical figures that we're going to discuss in the episode today, Ramesius Volen Margolis, the Ramaz. He met with President Coolidge, of course, Sir Blazer Silver, who was one of the heads of the Agudas Rabbanim for many years. His uh, connections with politicians are legendary. I spoke about it in other uh, episodes about him specifically. Eventually, the Agudas Rabbanim were the ones who marched on Washington during the war, the famous uh, Rabbis March. So being politically savvy and having political connections which can benefit the wider Jewish community That is definitely a part and parcel of the American Jewish experience. The only way to accomplish that is to participate in the democratic process through voting. So like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the Agudas Rabbanim today, an overview of who they were, of what the organization was, and if we have time, then we'll even profile some of the uh, impressive personalities who were leading members of it. Um, And I want to thank my dear colleague, uh, Davi Safir, for his assistance with the preparation of this episode, research, materials, sharing, and also another friend of mine and listener, Yitzchak Steierman, who also shared graciously some of his research that he's done in this regard. And um, it should be interesting. And I think the Agudas Rabbanim, especially if we go into the individuals who, who staffed the Agudas is definitely a story that's worth, uh, worth uh, going into in further depth in, in future episodes. So I'm going to call this part one. And um, if you'd like to have more about the Yagodis Rabbanim and profiling specific leaders of the Yagodis Rabbanim, specific early American rabbis who were part of this endeavor, then you can be in touch with me regarding sponsorships, Yehuda at Yehudigabra.com and we'll have future episodes about the Hagodes and uh, its uh, and profiling its people as well. So I want to open up with a story. I was My recent trip to the United States, I was uh, lecturing up in, in a bungalow colony upstate New York about uh, the topic was building Jewish life in the immigrant generation in the United States. And I painted a rather dire picture of what was going on and the Americanization and to integration and sort of in a you know, widespread abandonment of Jewish tradition. Um, and one perceptive individual interrupted and he asked me if what I'm saying is the picture that I'm painting is an indictment on the rabbinical leadership of that time. And I was taken aback, and I, um, you know, because I try to be subtle, I don't like saying these things explicitly. And he obviously had seen right through it. And I I I like to say that it's very difficult to pass judgment. Um, we take everything for granted today, what we have in orthodoxy in our communities and our, you know, growing environment and institutions and everything, and therefore it's very, very difficult from our vantage point in hindsight to pass judgment on those who were confronting Almost insurmountable challenges, and that's what part of what I want to examine today is what were some of those challenges and how did an organization like the Agudas Rabbanim attempt to overcome them? Um, the subject of today, the Agudis Rabbanim, they definitely accomplished much, and it's, there's much to their credit, especially organizations which they founded or supported. In other words, not so much necessarily the Agudis Rabbanim themselves, even though even the, organ- the mother organization. Definitely accomplished uh, uh, um, some some had some significant accomplishments as well, which I'm going to get into. But even more so in the organizations which they founded or supported, such as Ritz, the first main yeshiva of the United States, Rabbi Yitzchok Hanan. Um, they they kind of like adopted it early on. Rabbi Dov Bernard Leventhal, one of the most important people in the history of the Agudas Rabbanim, one of the most important people on the American Orthodox scene, who's been very much forgotten today. Um, so, on his long list of, of things that he gets credit for is organize, organiz, galvanizing the Agodis Rabbonim and their support for REITs, taking it under their wing, fundraising. Uh, Leventhal is the one who gets Rabbi Revel to to become the president. Leventhal himself is the president of REITs in the beginning, and he gets Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Bernard Revel involved, then later on he is, lives long enough, he lives a long life, he lives long enough to also uh, get Rabbi Dr. Samuel Belkin on the staff and eventually the president of uh, Yeshiva University as well. So throughout many decades um, behind that, uh, they are the ones who found the central relief in during World War I, which eventually is part of the joint they, they join forces with other philanthropic uh, organizations. So, but the central relief is started during World War One to assist the Jews of Eastern Europe, um, and it's by the Goodes Rabbanim. Um, and eventually, they're part of the Joint, which is the greatest philanthropic organization in Jewish history, probably. And specifically, the Goodes Rabbanim also uh, is out there to help their own. And they found also during World War One, Ezra's Taira, to uh, assist rabbis who are refugees and starving, and their families, yeshivas, um, their staffs, an incredible endeavor. And Ezra's Taira becomes this organization that is around till today. And and then that's the World War One. And then, of course, at the beginning of World War II, the Yagod Rabbanim founds the Vat Salah, which um, was a very important organization, again, to assist rabbis and yeshivas, um, during their predicament at the beginning of World War II as refugees. And uh, towards the end of the war, they expanded their operations to be involved, engaged in overall rescue. Um, so another very important organization, the one who instigated it all, was the Agudah bottom which is even more interesting about the Varatzalah, is that they became an umbrella organization. They didn't uh, keep it exclusive of the They eventually It was this umbrella organization that included all factions of American Orthodoxy at the time. So, this is not the history of Varatsala as Torah, Central Relief, or Ritz, but my point is, is that all of these were either founded or backed and supported by the Agudasar Abanim. Even within their own organization, they enjoyed uh, some limited accomplishments. And even though they, i don't want to say the word failed, it's a harsh uh, word, they, they, they were less successful in most areas. I'd still tend to give them credit uh, and not judge them for two reasons. Number one, they tried. And you got to give them credit for trying. Uh, In the face of a lot of apathy, where it seemed uh, some insurmountable challenges and uh, confronting them seemed to you you needed to be really, really, um, you know, have a lot of energy and vision and leadership to do it. So they at least they tried. They tackled uh, things head on. And number two, um, it's impossible to judge, like I said before, from our vantage point, where we take things for granted. The challenges of those times: secularism, Americanization, the endless immigration. Uh, you know, you can't you can't even deal with last year's immigrants because there's another hundred thousand coming this year, like I spoke about in last episode. All these things seemed insurmountable. There's Shabbos, Kashris, Jewish education seem like impossible. Uh, challenges to take care of. How how are we supposed to tackle Shabbos observance? How are we supposed to bring order to the chaotic situation of kashras and butchers and sheikhtim? How are we supposed to invest in Jewish education when it seems impossible? Um, Yet on the other hand, when you compare the collective efforts of the Agudas HaSarabotim over half a century of activity with those of a few courageous individuals um, who did accomplish much, such as Rabbi Dr. Bernard Revel, such as Rabbi Mendelovich, such as Rabbi Leo Jung, such as Rabbi Aaron Cutler later on, and how much they as individuals had an impact on American Orthodoxy. And there are many other examples as well, I just mentioned a few. It seems to be a bit of an indictment on the Rabbanim when you see how much those latter individuals uh, accomplished as individuals on their own. So you say, hey, why didn't all these hundreds of rabbis accomplish much? Um, but even if we don't want to say it's an indictment, it's at least a question. Um, so it's complicated. It's a complicated story, and that's what we're going to try to examine here today. What did they try to do? What could they have done? What, uh, what were they able to do? What was impossible to do? Even if one compares the accomplishments of the Yagodis Rabbanim with rival Orthodox organizations, such as the OU, or Young Israel, or even Seirei Agudis Yisrael, which appeared on the scene later on. Um, so there's, it's questions. There are questions. How, how much could each one have, could have accomplished? Could they have worked together more? Um, and it's, 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 it's something that we have to grapple with in our history and try to learn from. But in any event, they were a very important organization with an impressive historical record worth examining. And then there's an entirely other angle as well. The individuals who made up this organization were some of the most amazing people, rabbis, leaders, and they are stories in their own right. Their bios, their, their profiles, their accomplishments, their struggles, their successes, why and how these individuals immigrated to the United States in the first place, the positions they held in these sometimes far-flung communities, sometimes in the urban mess of New York, um, to the, When we look at them as people, as individuals, it's very, very uh, interesting history and impressive stories. So to profile some of these people would be another goal of covering the history of the Goodest Rabbanim as an organization would be to zero in on some of the individuals who made up this uh, organization. Therefore, it's clear that all of this cannot be accomplished in one episode and we'll have to return to this subject in subsequent follow-ups of future episodes. On the topic of the organization and the personalities of the Yegudah Rabbanim, there will be sponsorships available. It's founded in 1902. What happens in 1902? It's the midst of the great immigration that I spoke about uh, last time. And um, and there's a few factors that come into play at around 1902 that uh, converge to lead to the founding of the Agonesa Rabbanu. The main thing, the immediate cause, is the passing of Rav Yaakov Yosef, R.J.J., Rabbeinu Yaakov Yosef, the chief rabbi of a a certain uh, number of, of uh, Kihilis of shuls in New York City. And his passing was, was tragic. He was young. He was not appreciated. He was... Uh, um, ignored by the community for, during his later years. He was ill, uh, not paid. A very, very tragic story in its his own right. And in his passing, when it became clear that the chief rabbi thing did not work out and such a great personality um Left the American scene in this tragic way, so there is this group of rabbis. First of all, in a technical sense, they come for the funeral. They come from all over New York and in in, and beyond New Jersey and uh, Philadelphia and and, uh, New England and even beyond. And they come to attend his, pay their last respects, and to attend his funeral. So there's this gathering of rabbis, of immigrant rabbis, and they all come together and. That leads to the founding. That's the immediate cause, and that's really to fill in this vacuum, and they meet together. Um, There's other issues that are in the background. There's the appointment of Solomon Schechter to the Jewish Theological Seminary. The Jewish Theological Seminary was still nominally orthodox at the time. In fact, in, in subsequent years, there'd be an attempt to merge the seminary with the nascent ritz Yeshiva as a rabbinical seminaries, so that well, there should be one rabbinical seminary it should be the other, because it was still seen as orthodox. Yet, it was, it was it, since Solomon Schechter was known for some of his more liberal positions on Jewish tradition and observance and beliefs, and therefore they saw this as a danger, because the seminary was the leading rabbinical seminary of traditional Judaism in America at the time, and therefore this was seen as a challenge. We have to deal with this. There were also some issues that these Eastern European rabbis had with the other major Orthodox organization which existed at the time. That was the OU, the Orthodox Union. Um, Eventually, the the Orthodox Union was founded five years earlier in 1898. Eventually, in 1923, the OU had its own rabbinical organization, the RCA, um, and and therefore the two clashed. Um, The OU, the RCA, was more American. Was more breeding the membership eventually of the RCA was going to be more American rabbis, and the Agudas Rabbanim was and remained Eastern European Yiddish speaking immigrant rabbis, and the two had different worldviews, somewhat different value systems, and the the what they saw as a perceived threat of the OU caused them to unite and join into the Agudas Rabbanim as well. So there's inter-Orthodox factionalism at play here as well. Um, and there's, there's, there's the, that, that becomes an et- eternal issue uh, in the Agudas Rabbanim uh, because the OU was this more American, more Western European even, uh, British, uh, German. Um, and here the Agudas Rabbanim was very Eastern European, mostly from the Russian Empire, mostly Lithuanian, for the most part, most of its membership. And that brings issues and challenges, and there's overlap and conflict. At the time, in 1902, it seemed like the great immigration is going to last forever. So that means there's always going to be new batches of Eastern European rabbis who are always going to be able to come in perpetuity. No one knows that the Great Immigration is gonna and no one knows that the Holocaust is gonna happen in forty years and therefore there'll be no more Eastern European Jews altogether to be able to fuel the American Jewish scene. So the Holocaust and the earlier even earlier than that, the the ending of the immigration that changes the supply lines. And then the, the makeup of the Agudish Tarabonim is gonna to have to fundamentally change until at some point they'll border on being obsolete. Um, but the but they do adopt early on an American institution, REITs, uh, Yeshiva University, and uh, and, and they f- fundraised for them, and they saw this as the future, as training their own rabbis. They did have that vision as well, uh, which is important. So it's it's not just that they were stuck in Eastern Europe; they definitely had an American vision of the rabbinate. Um, very often the policies that the Agudasurah Rabbanim had for, 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 Yeshiva, for REITs, Yeshiva College, Yeshiva, Yeshiva University, however, whatever stage it was, very often the students didn't like it. So there was at least one story of the students going on strike because they didn't like the, 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 the meddling of the Agudasurah Rabbanim into the Yeshiva uh, policy. Um, so there's, there is conflict within that as well. The goals of the Yegudas Rabbanim were to strengthen Orthodox Judaism, to strengthen Yiddishkeit, to combat non-Orthodoxy, in other words, the conservative and reform movements, to organize and unite efforts of Orthodoxy, especially of Eastern European Orthodoxy, to be able to have a media presence in the Yiddish press primarily. Um, And a major component of the Yegudas Rabbanim was assistance back to their brethren back in Europe. In fact, that was probably their most successful area of activity. Um, fundraising for them, the Central Relief, Ezra's Tyra, the Vatat by World War II, like I mentioned, uh, helping fundraisers who arrived, being in touch with people like Reb Chaim the Chovetz Chaim, and other of the great rabbis in Europe. Um, and then on the American scene, they attempted, uh, at least this was their stated goals, to strengthen Shabbos observance, to strengthen the Kashra situation, which was, to- was a total mess, total chaos, to, and to a lesser extent, education. Um, there there was also somewhat of a goal. They wanted to also strengthen the office of the rabbinate in the United States, and especially given the language barrier, um, and for the immigrant communities, very Eastern European, Litvish uh, type of community, they wanted to strengthen the rabbinate within those immigrant uh, communities. They also started rabbinical journals, several of them over the course of the history of the Agnes Rabbanim. The most famous of one which came later on was Hapardes, but there were earlier ones in Hebrew and Yiddish. They, uh, they wanted to be arbiters of Halacha, Psak, to deal with all the new challenges in Halacha, especially Aguna Shilas. They were very, very active in the Aguna issues and challenges during the time of the Great Immigration and afterwards, And they established a Bezden, which oversaw the activities, which oversaw, which was sort of like this this, uh, overseeing activities. And the greater context that we have to understand is the reality of American Jewish life at the time, and until today. The the reality of the United States of America and its uh, liberalism and democracy, which was so different than the way the communal structures, the Jewish communal structures, operated in Europe Um, there was no organized community, nor was there a possibility of making an organized community. And that's for the very simple reason that there is zero government recognition of an autonomous Jewish community in the United States. It's an antithesis to the very idea of the United States. Whereas in Europe, every single government in Europe gave granted uh, recognition and even a certain element of autonomy to the Jewish community and the Jewish communal structures and the rabbinical position and the offices of the rabbinate. So there's no possibility of such a thing in the American uh, landscape. And this was a challenge to be confronted with and against the backdrop of American secularism, liberalism, the endless stream of immigrants, the massive urbanization. Just remember that New York City was a Jewish reality that had never existed in Jewish history. There was never such a concentration of Jews in one place which rabbis saw as such chaos that there was no way to organize anything, organize Jewish life, especially take, for example, a a thing like Kashras. It it just seemed impossible. Everyone's struggling to make ends meet. There's no infrastructure for for people trying to make their ends meet to be able to observe Shabbos at the same time. There's a lack of mikvahs. There's a tremendous lack of education. And these were very, very formidable challenges indeed. And the areas of activity and their accomplishments, the best barometer to see where the Agudas Rabbanam accomplishments were would be to read from the Sefer Hayoival, which the Agudas published in honor of its 50th anniversary in 1952. And it's a fascinating insight as to how the organization viewed itself following a half a century of activity, retrospective analysis. It enumerates its various accomplishments, and therefore I think it's Worth reading um, excerpts of it, and I'm going to go ahead and actually read from the original document, which I have here. Um, and and uh, here, uh-huh. the the following is a brief survey of its history. Again, I'm reading from, from the original. The history of the Gottesrabbinim is replete with momentous events and abounds in outstanding achievements. Reflecting the growth and development of American Jewry, the annals of the organization may serve as a barometer which indicates the spiritual weather that has prevailed in this country at various times during the past 50 years. The history of the Agudas Sarban tells of heroic struggles from the preservation and continuation of the Torah true way of life. It presents a picture of dauntless courage and self-sacrifice manifested by the Orthodox rabbinate in its battles against the Reform and Conservative movements which have with wanton and reckless disregard for our sacred Torah changed and abolished many of its laws, precepts, and commandments. The Yigar has naturally taken a keen interest in the welfare and progress of its members and endeavored to protect their legitimate rights. However, the organization has never confined, confined itself to this task. Throughout its existence, it has devoted a greater part of its energy to the spiritual advancement of Jewry at large. It is therefore self-evident that the jubilee of the Yagod HaSarabonim properly belongs to all American Jews. The Jewish community of this country has enjoyed in abundant measure the fruits of labor of the Yagod Rabbanim. Hence, its jubilee is the jubilee of every Torah true Jew who is eager and anxious to see the perpetuation of Orthodox Judaism in America. To enumerate all services and achievements of the Yagod within the limited space of a pamphlet would be virtually impossible. We can only present a brief outline of its main endeavors. And then it goes through in numbered... Um, what you know, one through 10, 11, 12. The first one, for instance, uh, again, I'm going to stop reading for it because it's taking too long, but uh, it's their support the Central Relief Committee they they established for support of Eastern European Jews uh, during the First World War. The establishing the Ezra's Torah Fund during the First World War is number two. Number three is the establishment of yeshivas in the United States. Number four is uh, publishing houses to publish. Books and Sfarim and Gemara and everything like that. Number five is, um, is uh, they, 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 they publish periodicals in Hebrew and Yiddish. And number six is uh, combating um, um, rabbis who were not qualified to be rabbis, who didn't have smich. There are a lot of fake rabbis going around the United States at the time. And one of the big goals in the early days of the Goodest Rabbanim was to out those who were impostors which could be, you know, a a spiritual danger and even beyond spiritual. Um, And the Agudas Rabbanim was only for a qualified Rabbanim and the rabbis that they approved. And uh, they can therefore make clear who's not uh, a genuine, authentic rabbi. That actually was a major accomplishment of the Agudas Rabbanim. To give them credit for that also. Number seven discusses the Vah during World War II. Um, Eight is joining with the Joint for Philanthropic Activities. Uh, number nine is their help with agunas. number ten is, is assisting the State of Israel. It's important to note that the political affiliation of most of the leaders of Agunas Rabbanim over the years was with Mizrahi, religious Zionism. Again, this was a primarily a Litvish, Lithuanian rabbinical elite, and in the Lithuanian Torah world, many were, were, uh, were uh, supportive of Zionism, religious Zionism, Mizrahi, uh, many of them didn't take any political stance, um, but they definitely didn't take any anti-one. Um, so there was a lot of support for Mizrahi, religious Zionism, the state of Israel when it was f- founded, and uh, and things like that. So that's another interesting aspect of the Yagod HaSarabonim, which was different than subsequent uh, Orthodox uh, Jewish organizations established in the post-war. Um, and so on and so forth. It's very, very interesting how they... They uh, go through their, their uh, list their accomplishments, which is quite impressive. Um, it, it, another interesting aspect of it is um, that I want to point out is, I spoke about the, is, is some of their opposition, uh, very, very often orthodoxy since, uh, since the time of the Chassam Sefer, which is another uh, series that we're in the middle of, um, is, is the orthodoxy defines itself by who, the, who it opposes. So, um, they, like, 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 like they wrote in their Jubilee volume, they made a major stance out of their opposition to reform and conservative. In fact, in 1925, they made a major protest against uh, Stephen Wise, uh, who was the head of the reform movement, um, even though Stephen Wise did have a working relationship with Ramaz, with Ramaz will Margolius, when it came to things that they were able to work together, primarily fundraising for Jewish causes through the joint. Um, but they lodged an official protest against uh, Stephen Wise and the Reform Movement. Um, the conservative movement, even more interesting, when conservative was slowly moving away from orthodoxy during the early years of the century. So in 1936, they kind of issued a sort of excommunication of the movement, not of individuals, not of people, Um they said the conservative Judaism is outside the realm of orthodoxy, outside the realm of Torah to Judaism. It's like kind of like an excommunication of the movement, in 1936, which is a decisive move. And they even combated and were opposed to other rival Orthodox organizations later on. They even though they did work with Agudas Yisrael on certain certain in certain areas, and even though some of the leadership they go to Sarabanim. Uh, Reblazer Silver for the, for, is the best example. He founded Agudas Israel in America. Later on, Kotler and Kotler, Feinstein, who were prominent in Agudas Israel, were also members of the Agudas Rabbanim. even leaders of the Agudas Rabanah. Feinstein was the rabbinical head of the Agudas Rabbanim for many years, and at the same time, he was the head of the Mayat HaSkadele HaTar of Agudas But at the same time, there was a lot of friction between Agudas Rabbanim and Agudas Israel. A lot of turf wars, there was a lot of issues, that's probably a story in itself. Um, one of the most interesting uh, episodes in the oppositions of the Agudas Rabbanim was their excommunication, their Kherim of Mordechai Kaplan in nineteen forty five. Their Agudas Rabbanim actually gathered at the hotel McAlpin in the in, in Manhattan and they put a cherim. They excommunicated Mordechai Kaplan of the eventually founded Reconstructionist Judaism. This is one of the only known excommunications of an individual in modern Jewish history. A fascinating uh, a story of, of Cherem, of excommunication, of the Yegudas Rabbanim attempting to use this uh, tool in the modern world. Um, interesting that this was an act of excommunication two years later in the same hotel. Hotel McAlpin was the beginning of inclusiveness because Jackie Robinson... Was a resident of the hotel two years later in 1947, and it was in that room, in, the, in, in, a, in a not that room, in a room in the hotel, that he got his historic call from Branch Rickey to join the Dodgers. But that's a side point. Um, either way, the there were rival organizations. The Agudas was seen as too moderate in many areas, and uh, of course, was always ready to start a rival organization. Rabbi so Zev Wolf Margolis. Uh, establishes the Knesses Surabanim, a opposition to the Agudas Rabbanim. There are other smaller ones, Iger Rabbanim. Of course, following the war, when the Satmarav uh, shows up, he definitely doesn't like this Litvish, Zionistly inclined Mizrahi uh, moderate stance of the Agudas Rabbanim. So he establishes his own rabbinical organization called Hisachdos Rabbanim, which is primarily Hungarian and Galicia. Uh, uh rabbis so yeah it's, it's kind of a geographical uh, as well um, so the the, the uh, that's basically a lot you know somewhat about the organization it becomes more obsolete as the generation of the Eastern European rabbis uh, gets older, and other uh, rival Orthodox organizations, such as the OU, such as the Gooderstein, such as other other ones, uh, gain in strength in the 1970s and 80s. And it becomes less and less of an influential uh, uh, organization as the century progressed. Um, I do want to get into profiles of individuals, especially people like Rabbi uh, Dov Bernard Leventhal. Um, Ramaz, Ramesh Zawul Margolius, Ramesha Rosen, Rabbi Yisrael Rosenberg, Rabbi Yisraeli Ohenkin, who's the head of the Ezra's Tyra, Rabbi of Konvitz, Rabbi Khanan Yafi, of course Rabbi of Silver, I spoke about in other episodes. But there are many, many people who are very impressive stories um, who we can get into, and hopefully we'll have that opportunity on future episodes of Jewish History Soundbites on the Yagodah So this is guy with Jewish History Soundbites, You can reach me at Yehuda at com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed.